Hey King's Arms, it's great to be um, sharing with you today. Um, I don't know if you've ever been mischaracterized, had someone um, misrepresent uh, who you are, maybe misunderstand your motives. It's painful, isn't it, when people people do that? I, it's happened to me numbers of times where people have misjudged, misunderstood me. And you're like, I, don't, that's, I don't even recognize the person you're describing. That just isn't me. But you know what? I think the person who is most misunderstood, most mis mischaracterized is God himself. I hear it all the time. People misunderstanding, misrepresenting, judging God's motives or his actions. I just think that, that just isn't him. I heard a friend uh, give this quote by Thomas Merton, uh, the Catholic monk. He said, our, our idea of God tells us more about ourselves than it does about him. It, it's so profound. Our idea of God tells us more about ourselves than it does about him. It's profound. I don't smoke a pipe, but if I did, I'd want to suck on that and smoke on that, uh, chew that over for, for a bit. Um, what does our image of God tell us about us? And that's what so many are doing today. They are reinventing God in their own image. I heard someone recently say, I don't believe in the Bible. I'm just focusing on Jesus. That's just not going to end anywhere healthy. Jesus has revealed himself primarily through his word. We can't just take the bits we like and create this uh, kind of uh, montage of Jesus that's the Jesus that we like. We're just reinventing Jesus in our image. It tells us more about us than it does about him. No, if we really want to follow Jesus, if we really want to follow God, we have to submit ourselves to his word and the image of him that is presented in his word and worship him as he is, not how we want him to be. We, if we deconstruction's a, a good thing as long as we reconstruct, we reconstruct on a solid foundation, and that foundation is Christ as revealed through His Word. He is that rock that we can build securely on. So that's why we're starting this new series called Exalted. We're looking at God's glory in the songs of Scripture. And this series will take a look at different aspects of God's glory captured by those who write songs about Him in Scripture. One of the great needs of our day is to recover the central truth about worship, that it's not about us, it's about him. We worship him for who he is, because he's holy and because he's worthy of our worship. And this series will aim to paint a big picture of God to fuel and impassion our worship. So today we're going to look at one of the songs of Moses. Mo, I'm sure as he was known to his friends, is one of the most important leaders in the, to the people of Israel. He's the Ten Commandments guy. He's the guy who led his people out of 400 years of slavery in Egypt. He's that Prince of Egypt guy, if you've seen the, uh, the movie. But right at the end of his life, right before he hands over to Joshua, who's the next leader, he sings a song. I know that sounds sound, uh, strange to us, you know, when used to a you know, rousing speech or a, even a card. But in those days, their culture, they would sing songs. They would sing songs that would encapsulate all the things that they wanted to pass on to the next generation. I'm not sure Mo was a rapper. I'm sure he did like to rap if you'd have heard of it. But, but and it's not a song like we would understand a song. It's not got verses and choruses and things like that. But it's his parting words to the people that he led. He actually taught them to sing this song and it's pretty hard hitting. It's, it's long as well. It would, it, I worked out it would take me about 11 minutes just to read the song. So we're not going to do that. We're just going to read excerpts of the song. And you can find it in Deuteronomy chapter 32 if you want to read the whole thing. So let's read this uh, first part together. Deuteronomy 32, this is Moses teaching the people his song. Listen, O heavens, and I will speak. Hear, O earth, the words that I say. Let my teaching fall on you like rain. Let my speech settle like dew. 
Let my words fall like rain on tender grass, like gentle showers on long plants. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He's the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright he is. I know there's two things here. Moses is preparing us for some tough stuff that he's about to say, and he does it in two ways. Firstly, he's saying, let my, my words fall like a gentle shower on young plants. Young plants are tender. They're receptive. He's saying, let your heart be open to the words I'm about to say. And secondly, he gives us the big take home, the big truth that summarizes everything that he's about to say. I'll proclaim the name of the Lord. How glorious is our God. He is the rock. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He is a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he? That that's really summarizes this song. And, and there's lots of detail in the song, but that's you know, the headline is there at the beginning. This is what, what Moses is trying to communicate to, to his people. Notice the, 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 the things that stand out. He's the rock. He's solid. He's, his ways are perfect. You, you might misunderstand his ways. You might misjudge his ways, but his ways are perfect. He is fair and he is faithful. Moses prepares his people by saying, this is who our God is. This is the God that you worship. He's a rock. You can build your life on him. His ways are perfect. He's fair and he's faithful. This is the big take home. These are the things that we should understand about God from this song of Moses. Moses is saying, don't misjudge him. Don't misjudge God through some of the things that happen. And he's going to explain some of those things in this song. A couple of things I'd like to add as kind of a preparation for us as modern readers of this song. Firstly, God is speaking this song to a warlike people. This was the Bronze Age. It was a time of kill or be killed. There was no social security. There's no, there's no government or very little government protection. This is a war time. War and battle were what they understood. And God engages them in their language. And secondly, he uses masses of hyperbole. Hyperbole is, is when we use extreme language to make a point. If I told you I watched a match at the weekend and my team were killing the other team, you wouldn't immediately dial 1999 and think, oh, you know, there's been a murder that's happened, Simon witnessed it, I don't know why he's not doing anything. No, no, you, you would understand that when I said my team are killing the other team, they weren't actually killing them, they were just defeating them, they were just beating them. Uh, and it's the same thing, but you'd get the point. Hyperbole does that, it uses extreme language to make a point. And, and most Moses does the same in this context of this song. So let's carry on reading. That, that carries on with this. The people of Israel have acted corruptly towards him, God. Uh, it's God they're talking about. When they act so perversely, are they really his children? They're a deceitful and twisted generation. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Isn't he your father who created you? Has he not made you and established you? For the people of Israel belong to the Lord. Jacob is his special possession. Jacob's another name for, for this people. He found them in a desert land, in an empty howling wasteland. He surrounded them and watched over them. He guarded them as he would guard his own eyes. Like an eagle that rouses her chicks and hovers over her young. So he spread his wings and take them up and carried them safely on his pinions. He nourished them with honey from the rock and olive oil from the stony ground. He fed them yogurt from the herd and milk from the flock, together with the fat of lambs. You drank the finest wine made from the juice of grapes. Don't you just love the tender images that we see in this uh, first part of the song? The eagle with his young. This is the heart of our father caring for his people. 
Elsewhere in scripture, it declares that everything good comes from his hand. The green grass under our feet, the fresh autumn air, the beauty of the yellowing leaves. And yogurt. I like the fact that Moses likes yogurt. I love yogurt. (laughs) I have yogurt pretty much every night after dinner for my dessert. I love yogurt. And I know it's a little bit strange. We have guests for dinner and afterwards, sometimes I'll say, you know, Caroline's done done a lovely meal. I've cooked a meal and and, uh, uh, and I say, would you want a yogurt? And people look at me like, are you five? What's wrong with you? (laughs) I really like yogurt. Uh, and, and and Moses likes yogurt as well, clearly. He says, yogurt comes from God. He fed you with yogurt, which I, I love. And the point really is not really the yogurt, but the point is God finds us in a mess. He finds us in, in, in the chaos of our lives, the destruction that sin and brokenness have brought on our lives. And he finds us there and he rescues us and he, and he blesses us. But there's a problem. That there's a problem that, that happens in this uh, uh, um, uh, next step, this next phase. And this is what Moses goes on to read. Let's read again. But Israel soon became fat and unruly. The people grew heavy, plump and stuffed. They abandoned the God who made, made them. They made light of the rock their salvation. They stirred up his jealousy by worshipping foreign gods. They provoked his fury with detestable deeds. They offered sacrifices to demons which are not God, to gods they had not known before to new, new gods only recently arrived, to gods their ancestors had never feared. You neglected the rock who had fathered you, forgot the God who had given you birth. The Lord saw this and drew back, provoked to anger by his own sons and daughters. He said, I'll abandon them, then see what becomes of them. They are twisted generation, children without integrity. They have roused my jealousy by worshipping gods, by worshipping things that are not God. They have provoked my anger with their useless idols. I just want to pause there and see what... What, what, what he's saying has happened. God has found his people lost and broken. He then gave them life. He poured blessing on them. And then they, in his words, became fat and unruly, forgot the God who gave them birth, worshipped other gods, provoked God's anger. That cycle you see repeated over and over again in Scripture. God's grace and blessing get poured on a people. The people get free and they prosper, but then they forget God. They worship other things. God's father heart is broken. You notice even then that passage we just read of judgment and uh, uh, actually you see he calls them his sons and daughters. It's, it's a fam- family language. His father heart is broken and his judgment is aroused. It's not that these people have joked, broken some arbitrary rules. No, they had cut themselves off from the father who loved them. It's easy to look for us though to look back at others or even to see others today and to wag our finger, isn't it? But here's the question. Do you recognize that cycle in your own life? Have you ever taken God's mercy for granted? So much so that you squandered it. I remember one year my parents bought me a watch uh, for my birthday, but it wasn't quite the one I wanted. And I was in a bit of a bad mood about it. And, you know, mid-afternoon, my mum said, what's wrong with you? You know, it's your birthday. Why aren't so unhappy? And so I said, well... You know, it wasn't really the watch that I wanted. I really didn't express it in a grateful way. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen those cartoons where the cartoon character's head like turns into a volcano and just explodes. That's what happened to my mum in that moment. And she let me have it. So I realised through her anger that just the ungratitude of my heart. Just and they did actually swap my my that watch for one the one that I wanted, but. Man alive, it left a bitter taste in all of our our mouths because of the ungratefulness in my heart. I squandered the blessing, took it for granted. 
God says, my anger blazes forth like a fire and burns to the depths of the grave. It devours the earth and all its crops, ignites the foundations of the mountains. I'll heap disasters on them. I'll shoot them down with my arrows. I'll weaken them with famine, burning fever and deadly disease. I'll send the fangs of wild beasts and poisonous snakes that glide in the dust. Outside, the sword will bring death and inside, terror will strike both young men and young women, infants and the aged. I would have annihilated them, wiping out even the memory of them. But I feared the taunts of Israel's enemies. You might misunderstand and say, by our own power as triumph, the Lord has nothing to do with that. God's judgment seems tough here. It's hard for us perhaps to understand. And I've wrestled over and over with the judgment of God. But remember how Moses sets this up. His ways are perfect. His ways are just. These people are reaping the fruit of their actions like me with the watch and that silly example but on a a global scale if you drink from a poison well you're going to get sick if you cut yourself from the only off from the only one who can bring you life all you're left with is death imagine you lived in a terrible area violence murder all around but you were safe you and your family were safe why because you you had a wealthy father who hired security guards your house and your family were protected 24 7 they went where you went they protected you they were armed to the teeth you could travel freely seemingly unconcerned with the violence around because you had constant surveillance and protection but one day you got fed up with that and you thought, I don't, I don't want this, I don't want to be cramped by security guards anymore. I'm, I'm tired of them, you know, being around and, you know, I've got no private space and they follow us wherever we go. And I just don't want my father, if we just feel closed in by the way that my father wants us to run our lives to, to you know, I know he wants us to keep us safe, but I just, we've got no freedom. And so you, you sack the security guards and you tell your dad you don't want any of his money anymore. You don't want anything of his security. You rip down the cameras that protect your property and tear down the fences. Who's responsible then for what happens next? Who's responsible for the, for the, the violence and the destruction that then hit your family? You can shake your fist at your father all your life, but ultimately you signed up for this. You cut yourself off from the only one who was protecting you. You told him you could stick his security. The reality is that's what Israel was like. They they were surrounded by warlike, bloodthirsty nations. And the only thing that kept them safe was the protection of God himself, was living lives the way that he had uh, aligned life to be lived, in relationship and communion with him. And when they cut themselves off from him, and choose to become actually worse than the nations around them, more sinful, more broken, sacrificing to demons. When they choose to walk in the darkness, then they cut themselves off from the light, and then the result is their own fault. God hands them over to the enemy, their enemies, but all is not lost. Indeed, the Lord will give justice to his people, and he will change his mind about his servants. When he sees their strength is gone, and no one is left, slave or free. That's clearly hyperbole, because if there's no one left, there's no one left to save. Then he will ask, where are their gods, the rocks they fled to for refuge? Where now are those gods who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their offerings? Let those gods arise and help you. Let them provide you with shelter. When God's people get to the end of their strength, and they realize that these gods that they worshipped are nothing, it is a turning point for them. A friend of mine was telling me that he was at his lowest point when he realized he'd got a girl pregnant and was being facing the dilemma and pressure from family to see the, the, the uh, pregnancy terminated. 
and he realized he'd got to rock bottom in his life and he realized the faith of his parents suddenly became real to him and he began to call out to God. Maybe some of you are right there, right now, you're on your knees, you're in a dark place, the gods that you trusted in, you've walked away from the God who blessed you, but you're now at the end of your strength. You know what, that can be the best place to be. It can be a turning point for you if you will choose to cry out to God because he's faithful and just to rush to your aid. This is what God says, look now, I myself am he. There is no other God but me. I'm the one who kills and gives life. I'm the one who wounds and heals. No one can be rescued from my powerful hand. But rejoice with him, you heavens, and let all of God's angels worship him. Rejoice with his people, you Gentiles. Let all the angels be strengthened in him, for he will avenge the blood of his children. He will take revenge against his enemies. He will repay those who hate him and cleanse this people's land. God's judgment is just for a season. At heart, he's a father who wants to restore, who loves. Yes, he's got the power to kill, but he's also the one who gives life. Yes, he wounds, but he also heals. The cycle has a climax, and it doesn't end in judgment. There's a way out of it if we will return to God. God's grace and blessing. People get free and prosper. People forget God. People worship other things. God's father heart is broken. His judgment is aroused, but then there's repentance and God restores. There is a way back from destruction. And of course, this is where Moses only saw from a distance what we now know in full. He, he, he never fully understood that there would be one who would break the endless cycle of judgment, that, that Jesus would come to end this cycle and take our punishment so that we can live under the perpetual blessing of God, so that we can run quickly knowing that we're forgiven and washed and cleansed, that we can fall on our knees and worship. And this is why we worship. This is why we worship. Do we fear God? Yes, we do. We should fear God, but also we know that he's our father. And we've got to mix our worship with both of these, both reverence and respect, but also tender love and affection of the father. Both of these are who God is, and we come to him and find both of them satisfied in Christ. As we stay in union with Christ, we live in that space. How glorious is our God. He is the rock, Moses says at the beginning. His deeds are perfect. Everything he does is just and fair. He's a faithful God who does no wrong. How just and upright is he. Our options are not to chop out the bits of the Bible we don't like. Our option really, if we really want to worship God, is to open us the scriptures and say, God, this is who you are. Some of the bits we don't understand, some of the bits we find hard to hear, but we see in you a just and fair God whose ways are perfect. We don't get it all, but we trust that you are, are, as Abraham said, will not the judge of all the earth do right. That the only reason we know right from wrong is because of you. You're the one who taught us. So who are we to judge right and wrong when you're the one who taught us right and wrong? You know, I used to joke, when I get to heaven, I'm going to join the queue of questions for God. I reckon it'll be a long queue, I used to say, and I'm going to join that queue. You know, the Lord really spoke to me. And he said, Simon, when you get to heaven, I'm going to be the one asking the questions. (laughs) It was a sobering moment. I'm sure you'll get a chance to ask God questions in in eternity, but it will not be from a judgment or prideful, God, you owe me an explanation kind of way. I think God's going to have a few questions of his own. And perhaps he'll start with his questions before we ever get a chance to ask ours. And that's exactly what happens to Job, isn't it? 
Job in the Bible described is a, is a story of a man who gets his chance to ask his questions before he dies. And so he does. The whole book is God, Job questioning God and asking God some tough questions. And God is silent. And then right at the end of the book, God answers. And God answers by asking some questions of his own. And at the end of God's answer, which is mostly just questions, Job gets a chance to respond. This is what he says. I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things far too wonderful for me. I take back everything I said and I sit in dust and ashes and show my repentance. Don't misjudge God. Worship him. Worship him. He's the father who loves you. Yes, he is to be feared. He's to be reverenced, he's to be respected, but he's the Father who loves you, redeems you and sent Christ to save you. Call out to God, even if you're at your lowest ebb, call on him with a pure and honest and humble heart and he will rush to pour his favour and blessing on you. Thanks so much for listening.